0: Hello and welcome to Elevating Founders, the podcast for early stage founders to hear the stories behind the change makers and disruptors in the tech sector who are responsible for tackling the world's biggest challenges. Brought to you by London Tech Week and hosted by myself, Sina Sadzadeh. Now today we've got a super interesting episode for you with Sasha Trower, partner at Venrex, in conversation with Rosie Bailey, co-founder and CEO of Nibble. The episode today explores Rosie's journey to entrepreneurship where she educates and shares advice on Nibble's fundraising approach and process for their most recent seed raise, which Venrex were a part of. The conversation also spans the importance of company culture, the rise of the circular economy and how the pandemic has played a part in accelerating growth. I'm now going to hand it over to Sasha, I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hi there, I'm Sasha Trower, um, I'm a partner at Venrex, which is an early stage VC fund based out of London. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by Rosie Bailey, who's the co-founder and CEO of Nibble, which is one of the more recent companies to join our portfolio at Venrex. And we feel very lucky to be part of their journey. So thank you, Rosie. Um, thank
2: you.
1: Sasha. <laughs> Nibble's an award-winning AI negotiation technology for e-commerce. It's fun chatbot lets customers make an offer with instant results, improving conversion and engagement. Rosie is a passionate supporter of STEM education and an experienced non-executive director with a background in maths and finance. Um, So on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about negotiating and navigating a fundraise, which having just been through the process with me on one side of the table and you, Rosie, on the other side, hopefully we might have a few insights that we can share with people. Um, And I think probably a good place to start is just if you are happy to talk us through the story behind Nibble.
2: Yes, of course. So, so Nibble is fundamentally it's a chatbot and it sits on an e-commerce website and it allows the, uh, the brand to negotiate with a customer the price. And if you think about it, the, the story behind this is as old as retail itself. So, so my um, business partner and co-founder, Jamie, was haggling over a pair of trainers in a Turkish bazaar. And he asked for a price and they had a bit of a joke And they both left with a price that worked for the buyer, a price that worked for the seller, and a smile on each of their faces, because it was cheeky, it was fun. And um, I think in in the UK particularly, but probably in other cultures too, negotiation has become quite a hostile word, whereas actually we see negotiation as an opportunity to find that win-win outcome, and, and candidly to have a little bit of fun. And when you started
1: iterating on the idea of Nibble, um, it was just as COVID was hitting, and that must have been a you know, you had a very successful career in investment banking, and you probably didn't need the stress of a startup um, amid a pandemic, did that
2: affect how you thought about the business or how you thought about the fundraise? So Jamie and I met while we were studying. Um, It was a bit of a mutual midlife crisis, perhaps. We both pursued different careers and then went back to study and we met. So my journey to entrepreneurialism, almost an accident, a very happy accident, and we were already talking when COVID hit. And I think um, it was very clear that the pandemic was going to accelerate existing trends in e-commerce and to begin with, to do with e-commerce adoption, um, and we have a Shopify app and the Shopify platform was taking off and facilitating lots of small entrepreneurial brands to get online fast. Um, and there were some big brands that got online fast through Shopify, like Heinz and things. So there were some big trends, but I wouldn't say they changed because of COVID, but they they did accelerate. And then the other one that I think is emerging much more forcefully now than it did at the beginning of the pandemic is the rise of what i would call the circular economy so brands like poshmark and depop poshmarks the us equivalent and depop here in the uk um, so powering uh, negotiated purchases that would usually happen face to face or at best on ebay via via exchange of sms or emails and now happening online in a much more social way a much more rapid turnaround of goods. And I think people are much more thoughtful about what they buy, buying secondhand, buying B Corps, that kind of thing. So I'm very excited about the rise of e-commerce, but specifically the rise of the circular economy.
1: And in in terms of um, sort of setting up a, a business and hiring a team and, you know, thinking about all of the other side of getting things up and
2: running, did, did it make it easier or harder for you? Of course, it, it, it's sort of the only way we've run Nibble. So it's kind of almost hard because we don't have a normal to compare it to. But certainly uh, one of our co-founders is based in Rome and um, our chief technology officer is, is based in Stoke-on-Trent, so outside of London. So running a completely asynchronous uh, working from home team is just normal for us. And I think that, I don't think I would have expected that. If the pandemic hadn't happened, I think I would have automatically been expecting to find a physical HQ and so on and so forth. So I think that um, that's become a new normal. Um, and uh, And now actually, I think the challenge, and I'm sure other founders will find this too, the challenge is to say how much face-to-face time should we put into our working patterns and how much should we frankly, stop the use of Zoom and Slack and try and find those more traditional ways of building relationships to make sure that, that we get some of those soft softer elements that you would have got from the office environment that you don't naturally pick up when you work from home.
1: Mm. Yeah, building a company culture on Zoom is something that we've had endless conversations about with our portfolio. Exactly. Um, and you know, from a fundraising perspective, I suppose as a, as a VC fund, we've been through a similar, um transition trying to think about you know how you build those relationships on zoom and how how does covid change the the whole dynamic of a fundraising process and from our perspective we've found it accelerates things a lot because instead of putting a meeting in the diary next week or the week after you're you're kind of on it today or tomorrow um mm. but equally that means that every other vc is also on it today or tomorrow so I imagine for a founder who's, who's going into a fundraising process, that is an incredibly intense thing to navigate because whereas you may have had two or three meetings in the first week or two, you can, you can just compress, you know, tens or hundreds of meetings into those early weeks. How did you find that?
2: Yes. It doesn't mean it is actually, it's funny, isn't it? It's easier to get on people's diaries because you can meet for 20 minutes or half an hour. And and whereas I think in the old days, that would have felt really rude and and you would have been like, oh, well, let's try and find time for a coffee and then two weeks would have passed. So definitely um, that networking element of the fundraise is much easier and you can reach out to people. And also I think people are much more willing to start those relationships through email or on LinkedIn or on Twitter. And, And so I think anything goes from that point of view in terms of the first contact I think the thing that's much harder is is the relationship element I have a co-founder for example so actually an important point of diligence for funders is to work out how how we relate to each other and actually when you're not in the room and you don't see the body language you don't see the way you relate when you're not talking and and I think it's those sorts of things that are you know so powerful for people's relationships but but much harder to diligence digitally um and then i think the other thing is is you can utilize a lot of tools and a lot of these just simplify things like our our investor deck is on on a on a document um warehousing tool where we decided to make sure that anyone could for, for forward it But if they did, we could see who looked at it next. And we felt that was about the right balance, but it's those sorts of decisions that you can make. But it does mean that it's worth being prepared. So we knew that we were gonna do a period of um, relationship building, a period of meeting people, a period of not asking for money. But we also knew that everybody would want to see some information. So actually the first thing we did was put together a deck, make sure it was reasonably pretty, I think the expectation is is it's got to be quite slick now. Your branding has got to be reasonable. Otherwise I think you put people off before you even get to the meeting. And and then we did a relationship building set of meetings to seek advice, to be honest, say, how should we go about this? But of course it had the potential to accelerate. So it was quite important to be ready before you started. Well, it did accelerate
1: because we we had a sort of preemptive chat and I think you know put in an offer that week pretty much so yeah (laughs) um and 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 how did you you mentioned diligencing from a funds perspective but did you find
2: it harder to diligence the investors that you were talking to that's when you do it the old-fashioned way so so meeting people to begin with was a matter of working out who were the right source of names to be on the list and then asking advice and asking for introductions and asking for For not warm introductions because that's the only way to get funding but warm introductions because that's the only way to narrow the list to the people who are going to suit you and work well with you. Because of their other fund investments or because of the type of people they are or because of the type of industry they focus on so. um, So we we definitely did a lot of that, and then I think when you're trying to diligence people, to be honest, then I, I picked up the phone. Um, you gave me some fabulous people to talk to which was really helpful and I talked to I think through you three founders that you have invested in and I know you emphasize that you invest in lots of female founders and whilst no one wants to be a special case it is lovely to meet some people who are more similar to yourself and to still feel like the fit is there but then I also went off piste and found some people you'd invested in that you uh-huh. didn't tell me about <laughs> I then. <laughs> and, uh, and, and telephoned them and asked them what you were like and uh, <laughs> happily happily, everybody gave me the same answer so 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 here we are today and was that an important
1: piece you know I suppose when you think about because you you had several offers on the table um, in quite a short space of time. How much of it was to do with the relationship? How much of it was to do with, um, you you know, the terms of the investment? and, And how much of it was actually just instinct of what felt like the right person to partner with?
2: I'd like to say it was very rational, but to be honest, these decisions are mostly emotive, aren't they? I mean, I met lots of people who asked, reasonable questions a few people who asked not very relevant questions and a handful of people who asked me the most pertinent and to the point questions but crucially they did it for me in quite a kind way in a way to try and get to the answer rather than to catch me out and it was those people that i really respected and i thought actually i could learn from from these sorts of people as well because you're welcoming someone to sit on a board with you and up until now i'd spent two years running the shop and not not having to not having to answer to other external investors right so so you knew that you would want people who challenged you but challenged you in a way that wasn't hostile was workable and actually made you a better business and a better manager and a better leader and having having a co-founder, did you find that helpful to the process? Because
1: you've got someone to bounce ideas back and forth with.
2: Yeah, I mean, i i, I didn't uh, my my I didn't think about it before. I just found myself in a situation with a co-founder. But if I was to think about it and found a business again, I'd never do it alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, personally, I, I think the challenge is to find someone you work well with who's not the same as you. And then it then it can be very, very powerful, and that's where we are. and so when i'm when I'm sort of not sure, I go to Jamie and I say, "What do you think?" And when he's not sure, he comes back to me and And we tend to see things from a different perspective, mm-hmm. and we we can disagree, but it never gets personal, and it's very, very powerful from that mm-hmm. perspective. And did you find it easy balancing the dynamic in because because you're
1: co-CEos as well? um in when you were doing your pitches was it obvious who answers what and you know where you both fit in the conversations or did it kind of depend who you were talking to i think it's more obvious
2: went? to yeah it, i think it's more obvious to us than it is to external parties and i got a, a few people say you shouldn't be co ceos rosie you should be ceo and and it's confusing and i think i think it's a tough piece of advice and actually the reason we're co is because we approach things differently in a complementary way and you need to get to know us and see how we work together to see that Um, somebody said to me but when the really difficult decisions happen who makes them and I said those are the ones we definitely do together but I think this person didn't really pick couldn't picture that you know and I think that's where diligence and interpersonal relationships is the only way to work it out
1: Did did you find you got a lot of feedback, you know, every meeting you have, whether it's network building or sort of hardcore fundraising, someone has a view and (laughs) did you find it difficult or perhaps really helpful filtering through all of the feedback you got and, and sort of shaping that into the trajectory of the business?
2: For us, actually very helpful. And to be honest, I've kind of almost written it down as the things I need to prove by Series A. It's really helpful, and so people who bother to give you feedback are gold dust. And um, and and normally it's I haven't seen enough evidence of X. And the truth is, we're very early stage. I can I can try and bullshit you, or I can tell you, I kind of agree. We've got some good indications, okay. but we haven't got enough evidence of. And so I've got I've got internal checklist of those sort of X Ys and Zs that I need to prove much more robustly by the time I go back to the market. I think that it's always such a I always make a mental note.
1: If you if you give some feedback to founders, you can tell there are two different camps. Half tell you why you're wrong, which and possibly you are absolutely wrong, um, but the other half. Say, okay, that's interesting. I'm gonna log that, if nothing else, to to make, you know, to go back and clarify because if i've got the wrong end of the stick as the fund they take that on board and go okay i need to go back into my deck and just make it really clear that we're not doing that or that so i i think it you know as with any anything just listening and absorbing what people are saying whether it's people you're pitching to or your customers or you know being able to take that sort of feedback and process it in a helpful way is such a good skill
2: i also think simplifying things I mean, we've created an AI negotiation chatbot, and if I say that, lots of people go, "Oh," and then they just don't know where to ask you the next question mm-hmm. um, because they've not seen anything like it before. It's not like I've created the next ten-minute delivery food grocery app, you know, and everyone's like, "Oh, I know about those," and um, and and so actually, the really telling thing is to try and distill it down into something that somebody can kind of get their teeth into and then let them ask all the questions to get it back up to a stage where you're frankly desperate to talk about because it's the really exciting part and actually Sasha that's where I felt you were and that's why we're now working together in my opinion is is because you were like whoa couldn't you do this with that and if you put payments in wouldn't that and I'm thinking yeah We've been thinking about all of that, but you're getting there at the same time as as we are, rather than us sort of having to kind of give you something very complicated
1: to start. I think off. that that's a lot what we look for as well. You know, are we aligned with the big vision? And then what's the bigger, bigger vision to that? Yeah. So a, a lot of our decision making is based on how do you feel when you get off the call? Are you just buzzing with excitement about all of yeah. the possibilities for this business, or are you thinking? oh how can I justify this as an investment what's the you know what's the low case that that would Mm. be the safe case um so no I it it has to be a fit both ways I I suppose and and in terms of you know the the sort of strategy that you approached your fundraising with do you have any tips of what you think worked really well either in how you ran the process or just how the sort of pitching went and how the interaction
2: with investors went? I think there were a few things that we found really hard um, and a few things that we, we did quite well. Um, so the first tip I would say is think about the external factors as well as the business needs. So, so as a founder, you know when you're going to run out of money, candidly. And so you know that you need to fundraise some period of time before that but when we chose the timing to fundraise, we were also mindful of external um, environment, right? It, it, it was a buoyant um, venture capital market at the time that we were thinking about it. And also the business was on a on a very strong trajectory and, and, and that's really important. So I think from a timing point of view, you shouldn't forget those external factors uh, because they will be just as important as when you need the money secondly the thing that we found really difficult was how ambitious how ambitious you can be right like should we raise money just for the next six months or a year or should we try and raise money for the next two years and 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 where will the ambition undermine the story right and and to get that right there's no right answer but we did talk to a lot of people and we particularly talked to people who we thought couldn't or wouldn't fund us Mm -hmm. to try and size that to try and work out what was the right kind of balance there Um, and we were very keen to raise enough money that we would have time to really focus on the business for a time before we had to go fundraising again which brings me to my last bit of advice and the most important is fundraising is quite distracting it it takes some time which you can manage by trying to make a very small portion of your team focus on fundraising and the majority of your team focus on running the business which we did to a certain degree and that's another advantage of the co-CEO co-founder model is I probably did a little bit more of the fundraising and Jamie did a little bit more of the kind of keeping the show on the road certainly at the beginning Um, and we also have a really fantastic rest of team who were all entirely focused on running the business and not at all included in fundraising but it's also emotionally quite distracting because you're sort of how much do I ask for? Am I finding the right partner? Will these people be good to work with? Is the money going to come through? you know and 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 it is quite hard to then plan for the future. Um, but if you're going to be hiring people, it, that's a long process. You might take a month interviewing people. They might be on a three month notice period. you know so these are things that you can't take your eye off the ball or you'll find yourself six months delayed. And what was the
1: approach that you, you took? I, I suppose it was a bit of a middle ground of beginning the yeah. hiring process.
2: So, so, we, so you, we've, you and I reached a sort of verbal agreement in December um, and it took us the next couple of months to document it. So we started our hiring plans from the moment of sort of verbal agreement because we knew it would take a while before offers were going out. Um, but by the time we were putting offers out, we were much farther down the road and much closer to, to, frankly, full agreement and having the money in the bank so that we knew for sure we would be able to pay those salaries. So it's a little bit of a leap of faith, but with bit. enough to make you sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. And also, I think, you know, when you're hiring senior people, they like to know that you're funded. And more junior people, they'll take it as a job, but senior people, they want equity and they want prospects and they want to know that, that you're going places. So that makes a difference.
1: Mm-hmm. And in terms of the amount to raise, because I've noticed a lot of founders coming through at the seed stage at the moment, they'll provide a range and it's and mm-hmm. it's sort of, you know, on the if we raise X, we can do Y. If we raise A, we can do B. And And I actually think that's quite a good approach because it gives you the flexibility to see, you know what what comes up as the as the founder um without being bound to a specific size raise where then if you don't hit it it looks bad so d- did you how in, in your mind was that the sort of way that you were approaching it or once you'd come up
2: with the number did you think okay this is
1: absolutely the number we need to raise
2: um, a little bit of both. I think that's that's perhaps a slightly frustrating answer, but a little bit of both. It, it was really about how ambitious to be. And I think the way you've articulated is really great. You know, you, you basically say this amount of money will let me do X. And X isn't a amount of time. X is a, a step change in your business. Mm-hmm. So so it will allow me to launch my Shopify app or a double my number of client base or you know and and I think or go into a new territory or make sure in our case that the bot is fully AI automatic and you know those sorts of things. Um, and tech development's expensive, right? And and building a SaaS business, there's a lot of investment that goes up front. Um, and how to explain that in in a sort of natural language way that lets your investor go. I can see where this money is going to take me and mm-hmm. also I can see when to give Rosie a hard time because it doesn't seem to be delivering you know which is totally fair right yeah. which is part of the contract
1: and when you think about your future funding request you know we, we've closed the round now do you, when you think about future funding rounds do you think oh I can't face doing that again or do you think it's going to be so much easier. We've done the hard part to get, you know,
2: we'll have some traction by then and it'll, it'll feel easier. I think it'll feel different. I think at the early stage, you're looking for people who love the dream and love the vision and are excited about helping. And one critical point that you made to me early doors was you said, look at our portfolio. Is there any business in our portfolio you would like an introduction to? And actually before we'd inked a deal, we were live on one of those sites. So, um, so that was really practical. And that was because you were passionate about the, the vision and also very practical about the help. And I think that's what you're really looking for in the early stage. I'm, I'm imagining the focus will be increasingly on, have you delivered the results you said you were going to? a much more kind of, what are the KPIs of the business? Are the KPIs on track? Are they on forecast? Are they on expectations? And I guess it's just it's an it's a, it's a it's a a gradual shift in focus, but I'm expecting it to be a much more hard focus on the data and the, yes, and, yeah, and still perfect. a mind to the vision. Yeah, and I think it'll be it'll be <laughs> frankly it'll be straightforward if the data is clean, and it'll be hard if the data is not.
1: <laughs> that's probably the perfect answer. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, So I think we're nearly out of time, so we'll move on to the quickfire questions just to round round things off, which hopefully you've had a chance to look at, and if not, you can come up with something on the spot. But um, during the pandemic, what technology did you find the most useful?
2: I'm afraid it's Zoom. It's so sad, isn't it? But it's Zoom. And and (laughs) I I think Zoom has meant, and Zoom will continue to mean all the equivalents that you can meet people for a cup of coffee for 20 minutes and and see if it works and that will endure post pandemic as well i think so i think so because it's the way of just not costing anyone too much time and seeing if it's if it's a fit and then you have to meet face to face at some stage. otherwise the world just becomes a very two-dimensional place yeah and if you could go to the pub with any entrepreneur who would you choose i've got two options I've thought of two people. My my sort of aspirational one is there's somebody called William Tunstall Pedo, who created the technology behind Alexa and is a big believer in voice technology and voice technology for e-com. And that's where we want to take Nibble. Uh, We want to be voice activated in the end. And then my second one is I'd actually quite like to go to the the pub with Joe Wicks. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I slightly hope he wouldn't have an orange juice. <laughs> that is so not who I thought you'd want to go
1: to the pub with but
2: but he was amazing right I mean he had us all doing burpees in our front oh, room really. right I mean isn't that just astounding
1: he um, did and be the he's just got such it's energy fun of what you know what technology did you find most useful during the pandemic he <laughs> yeah, had joe wicks Pee <laughs> with joe we did it <laughs> Um, And what's a startup that you're particularly enjoying watching at the moment and why? Am I allowed
2: to say Nibble? I think you can say Nibble.
1: It's got to be tough. I mean,
2: like I haven't found a startup with such a good sense of humor. Do you know that if you negotiate with Nibble, if you say, tell me a joke, Nibble will tell you a joke? (laughs) I haven't tried
1: that. My DD didn't take me down that route. (laughs) Um,
2: That's brilliant. Who writes the jokes? Oh, me and Jamie. It's 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 a very, very special form of dad humour that won't offend <laughs> anyone. <laughs>
1: Fantastic. Um, and fill in the blank. To be a founder,
2: you must be optimistic.
1: Very Do big. you know they
2: talk about this in the Navy? They talk about the value of cheerfulness in a leader. And cheerfulness is absolutely vital to keep the troops in order in the Navy. But it can't be too extreme, it can't be gallows humour, but it must be this optimism, but without, um, without a disproportionate view on the outcome. Anyway, so I think that optimistic outcome, it's, it's necessary. That sounds like a very good
1: company value as well yeah. to have in the mix. Well, thank you so much. That's a, that's a lovely note to end on. Um, that's been a really enjoyable conversation. So thank you very, very much.
2: Thank you, Sasha, it's been really fun.
0: That is it for this week's episode of Elevating Founders. If you've got any questions or comments, please do head over to our social channels linked in the show notes to join the conversation or email us at elevatingfounders at informa.com. If you enjoyed the episode, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave a written review and subscribe to the podcast, Apple Podcasts or Spotify wherever you listen. And I've got a very, very special announcement. Elevating Founders Europe is back this June at London Tech Week. And if you haven't already registered to attend, what are you waiting for? It's an amazing event. I went last year and it's incredible. And this year it will be even more extravagant because we've got over the pandemic. So please do visit londontechweek.com to find your passes and I will see you there. Thank you again for listening to this episode and I'll catch you in the next one.